Thresholds are a part of everyday life. How many of you have experienced a threshold, what I call threshold moment uh, in life? Water reaches, uh, and I've now got this finally correct. Um, apparently, I didn't listen in high school. Uh, water reaches a threshold at zero degrees or 32 degrees Fahrenheit as it begins to freeze. Mitch, am I correct on that? Thank you. For the rest of you fact checkers with your Google, put it away. Um, but uh, uh, a sound is breached, a sound threshold is breached, um, and it's known as the sound barrier. And conventionally, we are told that the threshold of space begins at roughly 100 kilometers or 62 miles above sea level. A typical pregnancy reaches its threshold at 38 to 40 weeks, although I know the ladies would probably say it's a lot sooner than that. And in a study recently done by a Canadian research group, they found that the average attention span reaches a threshold at 8 seconds, having dropped from 12, meaning that no one in here is currently listening to what I'm saying. <laughs> this morning, I want to speak to you from the subject thresholds. Thresholds, as we look at the art of pushing through. The art of pushing through and I've come to realize that thresholds, they're a part of everyday life, they're everywhere, they're a part of everything, yet when it comes to you and, uh, and, and, and our lives, my life and your life, um, we rarely, if ever, deal with and address them. And you see, thresholds are important at understand, and understanding them helps us navigate the complexities that often accompany them in our lives. And I've found that so many questions, concerns, stresses, and frustrations of life come down to what I call these threshold moments. You ever been there before? Maybe you're feeling extra stressed. And this is one of the questions that I ask myself and one that our family personally is dialing into. You come to those moments where have you ever, like, you've felt heightened in your anxiety, and maybe you feel like there's a lot more, uh, like there's pressure and your stress and your frustration has gone up in life. I've come to realize that as, as I've watched my life, that usually in that moment, I'm at a threshold moment. I'm at a moment where there's some stuff happening in life where I'm ready to cross a threshold, and for some reason, it all starts to stack on you. And you start to feel like there's this internal angst, and you're kind of, what's, what's happening? What's going on? Why do I feel this way? And the funny thing is about, about humans is that once we understand the information, we rarely ever deal with it. Right? We just go, oh yeah, that makes sense, and then we move on, and then three weeks later, we feel the stress and the anxiety and all this stuff, and we're like, oh, idea, I'm in a threshold moment again. And so I want to deal with these, these, these threshold issues in our life, because to push through thresholds, we have to be aware of the necessary commitment, the required attitude, and posture of faith that's needed to do so. Because I want us to know that that's a part of it. There is a necessary commitment to pushing through thresholds. There is a required attitude that is needed and a posture of faith that is needed to do so. So if thresholds are a part of life, then there are probably some things that we need to understand about them. So that's what I want to I do today. I want to take a look at some truths concerning thresholds that in understanding them will equip us to push through them. And to do this, I'm going to try to attempt something that people close to me know is probably an impossibility, but we're going to still do it. I'm going to try to work through five chapters of Joshua in the next 20 or so minutes. Y'all ready for your Bible? So buckle your seatbelts. We've put them on your seat next to you, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to work through this. Okay, so to understand the first five chapters of Joshua, we have to understand the whole book of Exodus. Here it goes. 
God says to Moses, Moses, I need you to do something for me. Moses says, God, what's that? What do you need me to do? I need you to get my people out of Egypt. And so just go to Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go. And so Moses says, sure, God, I'll go do that. Uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, nah, not going to happen. So he says, hey, I'm going to take care of Pharaoh. Here's some plagues and stuff like that that's going to ruin your life for a while. And I want Pharaoh to know that I'm real. And so after the plagues are going to happen, you're going to go back to Pharaoh and you say, hey, dude, it's time. Let, let, let's make this happen. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, it's time. Pharaoh's like, sure, take your people, get out of here. I'm done with you. Moses decides, okay, we're going. He takes his people. He starts to wander to the sea that he's going to go to. Pharaoh gets really upset that he decided to let the people go. So he decides that he's going to chase Moses. Moses gets to the sea. God says, raise your staff, touch the water. The water goes boof. The water opens up. They cross over. They get to the other side. Pharaoh and all of his people, they go through the middle of the water. God says, boof. The water falls on them. They die. And now we find ourselves and the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness for about 40 years, mainly because they're knuckleheads and they don't want to listen to what God has told them to do. Moses goes on the mountain. He gets really old, grows a beard, things get kind of wild, he brings some tablets down, they need to understand, all the while they're worshiping a golden calf, getting a little bit wild and crazy, and then Moses says, look, I'm done with this, God says, I'm done with this, can somebody get a clue, they wander a little bit longer, Moses does some things that really make God mad, God's like, you're not going to the promised land, you'll make it into eternity, but not the promised land, Moses says, cool, who's it going to be, Joshua, he's this dude, send him in with a couple sides, find the, pro the promised land, in the promised land, they're going to come back, they're going to tell you it's really bad, but it's actually really good, because I provided for you, and it's an awesome land to be in, and now all of a sudden we find ourselves Joshua taking over from Moses, Joshua chapter 1. Okay? Joshua chapter 1. That's where we're at. If you did not get any of that, Veggie Tales will help you. So here we find ourselves at Joshua chapter 1, and we've got to work through five more chapters this morning. So this is the first thing I need us to understand about threshold and what Joshua is going to teach us. Number one. Thresholds represent significant moments of transition in our lives. Thresholds represent significant moments of transition in our lives. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. But we're going to read only just a few verses, verse 2. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he says this, because God likes to get straight to the point, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. God speaks to Joshua and says, Joshua, you're about to cross over. You're standing at a threshold right now. You're about to cross over into the promised land. And I need you to lead the people that I've called you to lead into this promised land. They were standing at a threshold moment. And one of the first things that we need to understand about thresholds is that they often speak about and point us to a massive transition that is getting ready to take place in our life. See, at one point or another, we're going to face the inevitable transition. This looks like moving states, shifting jobs, changing positions, starting relationships, ending relationships. Maybe it's more significant like the loss of a loved one or a divorce or becoming an empty nester or starting, starting your journey with Jesus. It's, it's transition. And I've come to realize that thresholds represent significant moments of transition in our lives. And how we handled those moments is of the utmost importance. However, what we must realize, and this is what I want you to hear, one of the reasons that we have a tendency not to take the threshold moment and step into it is because we do not understand a significant truth, and that's this, that to every threshold that you are going to step over into new territory and new moments, there is a promise attached to it. But for so many of us, we never step through, we never step over, we never push through because we, we fail to realize or don't realize that God has connected a promise 
and he's connected a reason to us stepping through. There is always a promise associated with our transitions, even if we don't see it. God spoke to Joshua to let him know that they were standing at a threshold. They were about to transition. God would then go on to encourage him and tell them that their transition had a promise attached to it. Watch what he says in verses 3 through 5. This is God speaking. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I have promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness in Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. That's an awesome promise right there. As long as you live, I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. And someone needs to hear this this morning is that you're at a threshold moment. And as you step into that threshold, know that you're not stepping into nothing. You're stepping into a promise and there is something associated with it and attached to it. God is with you. He will not stand against you and he's for you in the midst of it all. So transition, step over the threshold. But they're hard for us. To every threshold moment, there is a promise. God is for you in the midst of it. And some of us are experiencing transition right now. And it has us feeling all kinds of different ways, insecure, scared, unsure, out of place, and off balance. But if we can anchor ourselves in the fact that there's a promise attached to our transition, then maybe we can handle our transition with a bit more faith and excitement. I think it's funny when Christians who are full of faith freak out when they're in a moment of transition. Right? It's amazing when I meet people with like no faith, no, no faith background, and I admire them in many ways because some of them are less freaked out than we are when it comes to transition, when it comes to threshold moments. And so how are we supposed to point people to a God who loves us and cares for us and is, and, and is completely involved in our lives if we're Jerry Maguiring at every threshold that we come to and just freaking out? What he's saying is, I'm, I'm with you, and you you can see, even if your transition is negative in nature, we can still be faith-filled and expectant because there is a promise. And this is why God tells Joshua and the children of Israel to be strong and courageous. That's the statement, be strong and courageous. And he'll repeat it multiple, multiple times as if God like, forgot what he said. He would say, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be, be strong and courageous. And so in our life, Eric and I's life, and here at the well, there's a lot of transition happening right now. I've realized this. And now five years as a, as a church, and we celebrated five years, and it was like everything all of a sudden transitioned on Monday. Five years is a significant moment for a church. And as leaders and as, as pastors, and I've realized that our life kind of, it coincides with the church. And so now all of a sudden we're in a bunch of transition, and we're running around like crazy right now. Our house is, is kind of chaotic, if I could be honest with you, because we're trying to figure out these transition moments, and we know that we're a threshold. And so there's a lot, like everything's heightened, and we finally dialed in after a while, like, oh, things are changing Life is changing. Our marriage is changing. We went from two kids, and somebody had the brilliant idea of having three kids, which I know for some of you in here is nothing as you move on to more kids. It's cool. That's, that's on you. But for me, three's a lot, right? And so we went from two. We got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and then, man, they're buddy-buddy, and everything's going awesome with them. And then you throw a six-month in there right? And all of a sudden, we're like in new life. Feeding schedules are happening again, and high chairs, and diapers, and, and the perpetual baby room that just smells like one giant diaper all the time. Like, 
You know what I'm talking about? Like, how did we go back to this thing? Baby food everywhere, like all of this stuff. And it's like, oh, what's going on? Parish family. Oh, transition. Transition. And so here's some things that I'm anchoring my heart with in, in, in times of transition. Uh, some things that I think help us as we, as we cross this, as we find ourselves in, in thresholds of transition. It's this. Transition leads to conversation that we otherwise wouldn't have. My wife and I are talking more than we've ever talked before. We might be yelling more than we've ever yelled before as well, but we're, we're doing something and it's working. We're with each other. We're talking all the time. I literally, went, like, we were, had a conversation. She's getting ready. I'm already ready. I'm having to run out of the house to a meeting. I'm yelling as I'm running out the door with my cell phone in hand, getting in my car, dialing her so I can get back on the phone and finish the conversation as I'm driving away. And we're like, what is going on? Well, we're in transition, but we're having conversations about things that we've never conversed about before. All right? Transition leads to opportunities for learning and growth. Come on, somebody. Every threshold of transition, you're going to learn something. Never pray the prayer, God, help me learn things. It's the worst prayer you could ever pray. Why? Because he'll help you learn things. Be like, all right, here's a threshold of transition for you. All right? And never pray the prayer for patience. <laughs> if you don't want patience, don't pray that prayer. He will put somebody in your life. I will help you with patience. I'm learning another thing. Transition leads to, more uh, to a more precise focus, a precise focus that we wouldn't otherwise have. My son, I took him skiing yesterday uh, in the snow, and, and it was, that's usually where you ski, actually. Um, <laughs> In case you're not aware, <laughs> I just ski out in the front of my house. <laughs> so I took him up to the mountain, and uh, he's been learning, so he's kind of been graduating from, from ski lift to, uh, or from chairlift to chairlift, and now he was like on this third chair, or uh, he, I brought him to the third chairlift, and uh, he's like, Dad, are you sure I can do this? I was like, yeah, I'm your dad. I know everything. And so I um, took him to this, to this lift. Now, the other two lifts that we've gone on up until this point now, he, like, he can just ski it. He skis the hill, and it's good, and he'll look around, and he'll be like, Dad, thumbs up, and he's all awesome about it. Well, I got him onto this hill, and I could not get him to look at me. As he's going down the hill, he was just like this. I was like, Justice! He's like, Nope! Not at all. Why? Because he, <laughs> he was focused, because he was in a new moment. And I've come to find out that transition actually causes us to focus in ways that we've never focused before. All right? Transition leads to change that we wouldn't otherwise experience. I know for some of us we don't like that because we don't want to change. Can I tell you something this morning? If you don't learn anything else, change is good for you. Change is good for you. We try to change all the time. This church is going to change all the time. Why? Because God is a God of, he says, I'm the same, but I change things. I stay the same. I never change. But I'm going to change some stuff around you to see that I never change. I'm going to change some stuff around you to see that I'm the constant in everything. And the transition leads to greater impact than we've ever had before. I help myself understand that in times of, in thresholds of transition, I go, maybe, just maybe, I'm about to have greater impact than I've ever had before. I'm about to do something that I've never, never done before. And so the first thing that we need to understand about thresholds is that thresholds represent significant moments of transition in our lives. Come on, every shot number two. The second thing is this. Thresholds necessitate wisdom-based assessment and preparation in our lives. Thresholds necessitate wisdom-based assessment and preparation in our lives. 
Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Joshua started early in the morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant, here's the rules that they're lining out. Of the Lord, your God carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can watch. Why? Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. And this is what he says, for you haven't traveled this way before. God was giving them wisdom in order to prepare But the mantra of our modern day culture is this. It's going to be what it's going to be. I'm going to step into this relation. How's it going? Well, it's going great. Have you prepared for it? Are you reading things? Are you trying to understand things? No, we're just going to go with the flow. Have you ever realized the flow jacks you up? It messes you up. We don't go, we haven't been called to go with the flow. We've been called to be people of wisdom and preparation. This is what Proverbs chapter 4, verses 7 through 9 says. I think this is, this is what I love about the Bible is it just gets straight to the point. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Yeah. I know that's deep right there, right? The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. In other words, wisdom is the crown of a life that is lived well. Have you ever noticed this? Can we just like have a therapy session really quick? Have you ever noticed that most of the things that we experience in life is mainly our fault? But then have you ever sat back and realized if I would have exercised wisdom and preparation in certain moments, I actually wouldn't have had to experience those certain things? That's why they make us like take driver's tests and study for that. But think about people who are getting into marriage. Like have you read a book? Nope. Have you like thought about it? Eh. You spend more time preparing for your driver's license than you do for this most important decision of marriage, for instance. When I found out that Erica was pregnant with our our first, our son, it was like game on. I'm reading things and I'm I'm praying, oh God, help me. Like I'm doing everything I can. I need wisdom. And there was moments of fear and like I was scared and I would cry sometimes because I was so freaked out. God, give me wisdom because I want to be a good dad. Simple as that. I want to be a good husband. The amount of leadership books that I read and the study that I do, why? Because while it may look like sometimes I have some sort of clue, I'm just saying, God, help me lead these people. My wife's like, "Mm mm-hmm, preach. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. See, a lot of us know a lot, but we don't use it, so therefore we don't exercise wisdom. In other words, wisdom should lead us to right preparation. And God is a fan of both. When we are standing at the thresholds of life, wisdom and preparation is a necessity. 
And I think about all the things that we're doing as a church, all the stuff that's happening in the background as we prepare for this motion offering, all the things that, it, that, that we're, we're wanting to see happen. There's so much preparation, so much wisdom, our board and our pastors and leaders and everybody's coming together to, to have these conversations about things and we're, we're banging our heads on certain things. Why? Because we want to be a wise church. I want to be a wise church. Leader, I want to prepare so that we don't find ourselves in a position where I go, well, we didn't have to experience that. You guys see what I'm talking about this morning? And so the second thing that we need to understand about thresholds is that they necessitate, they necessitate wisdom-based assessment and preparation in our lives. Number three, every shot, number three? three. Third thing thresholds do is they produce a posture of worship and thankfulness in our lives. Thresholds produce a posture of worship and thankfulness in our lives. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Choose 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing, carry them with you, and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the 12 men that he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe. And he said to them, go across to the ark of the Lord, your God in the middle of the Jordan, each of you lift a stone onto his shoulder, uh, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you in the future. Watch what, watch what he's doing here. This will be a, a sign among you, and in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you, you should tell them. The water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. Part of crossing thresholds well is seen in the way that we worship and give thanks to God for it. And it's something that we've lost in our modern society. We've lost the ability to stop and simply be thankful. Take God out of the picture for a second. Not even spiritual things, but just for a moment, in general, as a generation, we have lost our ability to be thankful. Mainly because we've become so consumption-minded that we only care about what's next. Did you know, I've, I've figured out parenting a little bit. This is, this is what I figured out. 70% of my time, I'm trying to teach my kids simply how to be thankful. Like in everything, I was thinking about it the other day, and I was, as I was thinking about it, I was writing this message, I was thinking about it the other day, I was like, man, I spend like an exorbitant amount of time right now just trying to teach them to be thankful. What do you say? Thanks. Here's a cookie, what do you say? Thanks. Right. Here's like a video game thingamabobber, what do you say? Thanks. Like just one time, I want my kid to turn around and be like, oh, merciful Father, thank thee for thy bounty to which you have bestowed upon me. That's thankfulness. <laughs> That's thankfulness. They'll never do it, I know. See, Joshua was a good leader, and he realized that if the children of Israel were going to continue into all that God had for them, they needed to pause Worship and be thankful for all that God had just done for them. Worship and thankfulness posture our hearts and position our eyes towards God. It postures our hearts and positions our eyes towards God. And I think that many times we confine worship to just simply four songs. But what I loved about Joshua's leadership is he said, listen, the worship's not just for you. The thankfulness is not just for you. It's for those that are yet to come. 
I want you to hear something this morning, church. Your worship is not just for you. It's for those who have yet to come. Did you know there was a 9 a.m. service that was worshiping before you? And that 9 a.m. service was preparing you for this moment as they worshiped. And there's a 5 p.m. service that's going to come after this later tonight. And your worship, your thankfulness towards God, it prepares an atmosphere. And that 5 p.m. service is going to step into that. Our worship is not just about ourselves. It's about others as well. You may have been worshiping this morning, worshiping through what it is that you're going through. And there may have been somebody next to you that did not want to worship at all. And your worship was the very worship that carried them through the thing that they're facing your worship is more powerful than you realize there's so many times I sit on this front row I know I'm the pastor I'm supposed to always want to worship no come on like I can I be honest like I'm not I come in here sometimes and I'm like there they go again trying to get me to say whoa 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 <laughs> I don't want to say whoa 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 I want to say uh, uh right? And you laugh because you know what I'm talking about. You're like, all right, guilty. That was me this morning. I don't want to. I don't want to sing, whoa, whoa, whoa. And there they go again, doing that one leg stupid hop thing that they do. Is that, is that worship? Right? <laughs> Susie, how many times have we sung this song, I'm a child of God? It's got to be like the fourth time. Really? Really? I feel that way sometimes. I don't want to worship. But then I watch these guys. Leave it all on the line. They're not performing. You don't perform like that. That's, that's worship right there that these guys do. And all of a sudden, my little hmm attitude, they didn't want to worship, is lifted. And all of a sudden my heart's lifted. And my situation goes away because I watched other people be thankful and worship God. And then I realized, I know these guys. I'm like, oh, I know that situation that they're going through. I know that situation that he's going through. How is it that in the midst of that situation, they can still sing, they can still dance, they can still lift their head? Why? Their worship is now carrying me. And when we worship, whether you're singing off-key, out-of-tune, half-mast, whatever you need to do, you need to understand something, that your worship is not just for you, it's for everyone. Everybody. And it lifts people. And so we got to stack stones of thankfulness and worship every single weekend around here. Now, literally, don't bring a stone because our ushers will have issues. But metaphorically speaking, we got to understand that every single weekend around here, think about this every single week, when we step into this place, when you step, it's not even this place, it's not the four walls of this place. Man, I've had some great worship sessions in my living room. Put the music on them. Just crying like a baby. Oh, we, I mean, we worship together. And our kids, it's amazing. We don't even tell them to worship. They're just, Dad, can you put worship music on? Right? It's funny when we used to bring them to the gym, they're in school now, like our gym. Like, we don't control the music in our gym. So I've, like, memorized some songs, and I'm like, really? You got that memorized. <laughs> so I've got to be careful sometimes. But we'll get out of the gym, and the kids will be like, hey, can we put worship on? And it's interesting that they, they are sensing something that their soul needs. And so we got to stack stones of worship and thankfulness. And you may not realize, and you may not even understand that you have something to be thankful for. Oh, Jason, you don't, you don't understand my situation. doesn't matter what your situation is. You still have something to be thankful for. You still have something to worship God for. These guys have been through the ringer, and they still worship the way they did.
So the things that we need to understand about thresholds is, well, they cause us to posture in, in, in worship and, and thankfulness. Number four, big shot number four. You're going to hate this one. It's just a spoiler alert. Number four, thresholds. They create purpose-induced pain in our lives. Thresholds create purpose-induced pain in our lives. Joshua chapter five, we made it. We did it. Joshua chapter five, verses two through nine. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelite men again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men at Gibeath Haroth. Now let me tell you something. One, that's not cool. Like, I could tell you right now, none of you would appreciate seeing in your worship guide this morning, Flint Knife Weekend, next Sunday. Like, <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> What'd you learn at church this morning? You, you just don't want to know. <laughs> Verse 4. This is the reason. This is the reason. This is the, Bible. This is the reason Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness along the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they had come out of Egypt. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years until all the nation's men of war who had come out of Egypt had died off because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land that they sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. He raised up their sons in their place. It was these Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered, as you, as you would. <laughs> it's like, Joshua, can we stop for like five minutes, guy? The Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, that place is still called Gilgal today. Listen, God needed warriors that had experience with pain, not children that had only experienced protection. This is incumbent upon God's fatherly nature that the allowance of pain is used to build the necessary strength required in us for our purpose. In other words, pain is a prerequisite for purpose. I know, a super popular idea right now. We tend to be pain evasive, while God tends to allow pain to be invasive because of what it builds in our lives. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis writes, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Your pain is worth something. No amount of pain that we go through is a, is a waste. And I love what Molly and Steve said in their video about how pain shapes, especially when God is involved. And every threshold in life will include pain. The question is this, will I be able to embrace it? Will I be able to allow it to shape us, shape me as I move into this next season that God has for me? And I understand this because I'm a dad. There are certain amounts of pain that I will simply let my children go through. They have to fall off their bike. 
I don't protect them and keep them from falling off their butt. Am I scared every day that that fall potentially injures them more than I would like? Yes, but I have to let them fall. I have to let them experience pain. Why? Because pain builds something in them that is necessary for the purpose that's beyond them. When they don't know pain and they've simply been protected, they don't have the strength to carry what's in the promised land. And Christians, we run so fast from pain. And we create three theologies that cause us to believe that God's heart is for us to be pain-free. No! Read Joshua. Just write it in your journal. Remember circumcision. Thresholds, cause, purpose-induced pain. I was at the gym the other day, and uh, I'm in a class at 8.30 in the morning. It's me and all women. It's so fun. And so, <laughs> it's, problem, like, it's problematic for me because most of them beat me. And so, <laughs> it's becoming more and more difficult for me to go to this class. And Anyways, we were in a workout the other day, and this workout had a lot, of, a lot of work in the middle, but on the front side and the back side of the workout was an 800-meter run. So by the time I was all done, I would have run a mile, and then all this crazy stuff in between. So I run the first 800, and, and I set off with the rest of the pack, and all the girls were running, and I was like kind of behind them. And then I, like, I realized something, and look at I'm like a dude with an ego as well, okay? And so I realized something. I was like, all these girls are beating me right now. <sighs> so I started speed up and I caught up to them and I stayed in the pack and then they would like speed up a little bit more they're not even breathing like I think they were holding their breath for a better workout and I'm like huffing and puffing and I'm like guys come on like just stop running and so <laughs> I'm like running with them and trying to keep them. and so I kept up the whole time with the, with the first pack and then we got in and uh, they just like blitzed it they started doing this workout and, and I was just suffering over in the corner and doing my thing except for one other girl one other girl was, was kind of behind me, and she, she's, more, she, she's just new to our gym, and, and she's a runner. And, uh, and so I knew she was a runner. So I was like, I cannot let her beat me. If she beats me, game over. I'm a competitive person. My wife and I are competitive as well. So I was like, I have her on the weight thing. I'm doing the weights. I'm beating her. I was like, cool, yeah, all right, awesome. All the girls had finished. And so I take off running to start my last 800 meters. So I run. When I got out the door, I was like, I don't really care about my own time. I'm just going to kind of pace this myself. And then all of a sudden, that girl comes running out. And it was like in that moment, everything switched for me. Because in every footstep that she made in her run, it was like, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to... I was like, I cannot let this lady beat me. And so I, I, I turn it up, and I'm watching over my, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like looking for it, right? This is how bad I am right now. And so I'm looking for it, and she's speeding, and then she, like, catches my eyes, and she starts to speed up. And I was like, oh, no, she doesn't. And so I <sighs> started running, so my, my stride, I was trying to hold, keep my breath going. Like, I, I, I started, like, really gating it and you know, open things up, and I'm really, really running. So we do our first 400, and we're on this last 400, and she's starting to speed up, like, even more. And she's a runner, so now she's starting to, like, catch catch up with me and it was like in that moment I started to push just a little bit harder and then I reached something that those of you work out you know what I'm talking about I hit that threshold you know that one where you just want to pass out everything goes white you see Jesus like it's just a bad it's, that was the moment that I was in 
And all I could hear was like, it was like bright white lights and footsteps. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. And it was like something rose up in me. And I was like, oh, in the name of Jesus, demon runner lady, she's not going to beat me. Uh-uh. No, give me the strength right now, Lord, to keep on going, to keep persevering, to keep pushing. I was preaching to myself. And so I started running. And my legs were on fire. My toes were on fire. Everything was on fire. And I ran. And I got through it. And I made it in. And I made it back in the gym. And I collapsed on the floor. And all I could think of myself was, thank God she didn't beat me. I was in all this pain. And it was all this agony. And I realized something is that every threshold you get to, pain is involved. You have to decide whether you're going to push through it. But how many of you know that pain is purposeful in my life? It made me, made me stronger. I want you to see something. I close on this. Luke chapter 22, 39 through 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. This is Jesus now. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. This is Jesus getting ready to kind of enter into this moment where he's coming to full, full acceptance of what he's about to step into. And he says to, to God, if you would just remove this cup from me, nevertheless, Here's a threshold moment in the life of Jesus. Nevertheless, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Even Jesus had to push through a threshold, and that threshold of pain, that threshold of frustration produced a gift for you and I that saved the world to which we cry out to him, thank you for the greatest gift ever given. Thank you for the greatest gift ever given. Your pain means something. Your pain has a reason behind it. Your pain is necessary, but on the other side is a promise and a purpose that you can step into. Don't run from it. Push through it. Push through it. Because on the other side is a miracle. How long do I got to push? I don't know. How hard do I push? I don't, I don't know. Just keep pushing. Cross the threshold. And understand that thresholds bring purpose-induced pain. And Jesus showed us. Ultimately, he stepped through it all. So that you and I would have the gift of grace and salvation in his name. In Jesus' name. And that is why we talk about the blood of Jesus. Because he shed his blood for you and for me in Jesus name. come on can we stand our feet in this moment